0: And welcome to The Temple of Blair, episode T. This is another entry into the history of Rodan Records' collection. Uh, this conversation is with British music industry titan Miles Leonard. Uh, Miles is responsible for launching the careers of Kyla Minogue, Gorillaz, Coldplay, The Verve, and many, 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 many more. He was formerly the chairman of uh, Palafone and Warner Brothers Records UK. Uh, But he worked at Roadrunner Records between years 93 and 95, if I remember correctly. In that wonderful sweet spot where Roadrunner was moving away from... Death and Thrash and all that stuff, and trying to expand the horizons and and take on the world and and basically try and be a major label and take on many more different genres and different kinds of acts. Just wanted to thank Miles for taking the time to reflect and paint a picture of what Roadrunner was like, especially in the UK office back at that time, and, uh, you know, reflecting on the lessons he learned while working under Case and, and how that would go on to affect his later career. Okay, thanks everyone. Hope you enjoy this one. One, two, fuck shit up. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, Miles. I'm sorry about that. You know what? The same thing happened to me last night. The calendar invite sent out with the link, but the recipient didn't have it hit their inbox, (laughs) strangely. All right. Well, no worries. We're here now, so good to speak to you. Yeah, you too, mate. Well, thanks for taking the time, man. So the project itself is um, kind of, I'm trying to bring all the experiences and accounts of uh, people's time with Rhoda and a Record, so I can try and get an understanding of how they got to what they got to. Yeah, as, a, as a metal editor, I've got kind of a special relationship with that brand because it delivered so much value to yep. me. And I'm trying to figure out how accidental that was or how deliberate it was. Okay. Um, but, uh, I know from? you spent some. I'm calling from Leeds. All right, good, good old
1: Leeds. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I think in terms of um, your time with the label, shall we deal with it just sort of chronologically, just keep it loose? Yeah. I mean, it's a distant memory, but I try and remember all I can. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So I, I know you started at Virgin and then you made the transition over to Roadrunner in 92, 92. I wanna yeah. say that's exactly it. How did that happen? How did it come about?
1: Yeah. Um I got uh fired from Virgin and I just signed a bank called the Verve there um who were just <laughs> starting to really take off and or at least you know um progress and And then uh, I ended up getting fired from Virgin as a young scout um, for probably being a bit too cocky around at at the time. And um, (laughs) I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And it just so happened that at the time, Roadrunner Records were uh, looking to branch out and start to sign probably artists in a broader field than just the uh, metal genre. And I think... uh, probably because of what I'd done at, at uh, Virgin and from signing The verb and being on some other alternative uh, artists at the time. When I went for the interview, I think that obviously I came, resonated with them as probably being somebody that could sort of work in that area and help them to broaden out into that area. Who was it? Who interviewed you, was it Mark Palmer? <laughs> no, funny enough, actually, uh, Case Wessels had hired somebody who lived just outside of London, um, who is a, a gentleman, uh, a very nice gentleman, but, you know, um, he was an older gentleman, probably in his fifties and sixties. Um, and he was doing the interviews for Roadrunner. I don't know what his connection was with Case Wessels at all. And I must admit it was it was a quite interesting interview because he was asking me just things about, you know, when a artist uh, goes on TV you know, he asked me questions about hair and makeup and stuff like that, which is really odd, you know. I, but I remember it so well. And he asked me about, you know, clothes that artists should wear if they were going to become more famous and stuff. It was it was a really... It was an odd interview, let's put it that way, for the job I was going for. Anyway, long story short, um, he recommended me to uh, Case and Mark. And I I can't remember at the time, but I think... Um, I think I probably went in and had a conversation with Mark then just to say hi and uh and it was all all done. Or maybe even Case and Mark actually. I can't I can't quite remember. But at which point, you yeah, know, yeah. Roadrunner Records were in a tiny little house. Their office was in a house near Westbourne Grove, um in a really sort of slightly downtrodden part of London. It was in an old townhouse. <laughs> And that's where their offices were. It's mm. a rickety old, cold, threadbare carpeted house.
0: Was this the one that burnt down or the one after the one that burnt down? <laughs>
1: oh, it probably did burn down. Well, I don't know. But, I mean, it certainly didn't burn down when we were, well, not literally in it, but when we were there. Uh, um, it... it uh, I loved it as an office. You know, I just I, I went into the music industry working for Virgin Records, you know. So I was there worked in a corporate company and had a yeah, lovely yeah. office and company car and you know in these beautiful offices and whatever and then I was literally probably about half a mile down the road in this rickety old cold threadbed floorboarded townhouse, you know, and it was a real difference. But I liked it, enjoyed it. It was it was
0: dirty and it was, you know, it was interesting, it was fun. <laughs> It's kinda of like when you reminisce about your student days, isn't it? For me it is, it's like was a oh, bit, yeah. I miss I miss Yeah, it uh, was a bit but I felt.
1: Yeah, you know, but I tell you what, the thing is, um, you know, uh they you know they said, Oh look, go down the road and you know, there's an antique shop or, oh, like an old uh, you know, shop that sold desks and chairs, <laughs> go and get yourself a desk and chair. And that's what <laughs> I did, you know, and uh, I I and it You know, uh, I was, I was grateful to have been taken on by this company and Mm. um, you know, when, when, and I was really very pleased to be working again in A&R and they took it, they gave a chance to me, you know, I'd blown the opportunity I'd had in the record industry, you know, I'd, did everything i wanted to be was in the music industry and i got a record in virgin i signed a, what i thought was a brilliant act well they are a brilliant act but and then you know i was just too cocky and then i got fired you know and it was like oh i'd lost everything that i wanted and then you know roadrunner had uh, taken me on and and i loved it you know i loved the fact that there was only probably about five of us in this office you know there was uh the two girls that did press and and then there was mark and then you know there was it was it was it was, uh, was probably five of us, one and and it expanded a little bit and then we moved to an office over near acton which was that was in a modern office you know and, and it was like wow we're really going up but my the remit i had from case and mark was you know we want to broaden into alternative rock music you know indie rock music mm-hmm. and that's what I want you to do. And they brought somebody else in, in the United States to their Roadrunner office to do the same. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, that's where we were going. You know, I think the thing with Roadrunner is in case case was the first person I know in the industry and there may have been others, but I know that his record deals were where you signed the publishing, you signed the merchandise and you signed records and you did that all for a minuscule amount of money and 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 yeah. and he built a very strong business on that you know and i think with the artists that he they were signing those metal bands there was only probably two other labels that are in the in the ball game to sign metal acts at the time you know so they mm. so and they had a good merchandise company and you know that was their business model and they were doing that before anyone talked about 360 deals you know there wasn't even you know, yeah. so uh the only thing was, is that the bands and the artists that you know they, that I was always, I was looking at and wanted to look at, well, they just weren't doing those sort of deals. You know, they didn't need to because they're in they're, they they had the, the the big major labels offering them just a deal for records only, no merchandise, no publishing, no. And so it's yeah. just it
0: was hard to compete. Andy Saunders ex- um, he expressed the comparison between Roadrunner, which was usually about between three and five k advance for six or seven albums as you say pretty much everything 360 before 360 and then when he went to creation it was okay well we've got the overheads and then after that it's 50 50 with the artist and that for him was like oh such a breath of fresh air because he could he could actually approach the negotiating table with some clout was that a, the main challenge that you faced when you were working with um with case yeah it was you know i understood their business model and i didn't didn't
1: knock it the the, the problem was we were trying to bring that business model and those deal terms into a world, as I say, where that just wasn't acceptable on the table, at least for anyone that was in a competitive deal. I remember Supergrass at the time were just looking for a deal around then. Uh, and you know really wanting to do sign them but it, you know it's one thing trying to get them to you know understand we're going to sign to a heavy metal label you know or metal label you know mm. um that's one hurdle but then it's another hurdle when you got yeah. you know EMI offering them 100,000 pounds for you know <clears throat> for six albums and 100,000 per album we're saying well we'll we'll take everything for 20 grand you know it just they did, why would they do it so <laughs> It was difficult. Yeah. So then you had to try and fish in a different pool and you had to try and find artists, you know, earlier and really try to say, okay, we're going to go into this market, but we've got to find artists that are early and see if we can nurture them and bring them through and, uh, and you know, build that. So, we, you know, I, I think there were two bands that signed there. One's called Pet Lamb, who are from... Uh, Ireland that Steve mac was mm-hmm. really championing at the time, There's, and there was a bank wormhole as well, they're a bit like the band Pavement that mm-hmm. were around at the time. And we did a couple yeah. of electronic things as well because they had the electronic label that was
0: through uh, Third Mind. Sorry, Third Mind. Well done, yes. Yeah. Third Mind, yeah. yeah Gary Levermore, yeah. yeah.
1: And Gary was doing that, and Gary was such a specialist in that area, that very black, dark, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't house or techno or, or, you know, sort of what was the modern electronic dance music that was happening in the late eighties, early nineties. He was working in a very sort of, sort of darker niche area, you know, but he was doing what he was doing. He was doing that very well. I really liked Gary, you know, and I sat in an office with him and used to, and, and we were just having to scour and try and find artists that were just not on anyone's radar
0: you know, at all. Yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to be tough going to Supergrass and going, hey guys, we can get you on tour with Sepultura. Yeah. <laughs> if, that's, yeah that's only, if that's the only, that's
1: the brand. <laughs> it just doesn't fly, you know. So, you know, look, I, I you know, I think um, I understood why Case wanted to broaden out, but I also understood why he had a business model that worked. He wasn't going to throw it all away, you know, certainly on a young, you know kid like myself at the time you know mm. who's you know bringing in these fans so we had to try and it was a kind of a, a, a sort of a, a pool and a, and you know we would you know we would we were trying to do it and you know, if I go back again with the experience and knowledge I had now, I think we would have done it in a, a different way. I don't mean in terms of what you'd spend, but the approach. But I, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was very young then and 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 didn't have a great deal of experience. I knew what was a great band, a new great artist, but I think I would have approached
0: it in a slightly different way. Are there any missed opportunities where perhaps you you saw some acts which I might have heard of today, which case went, oh, I'm not feeling it.
1: no you know case never questioned the artist case never questioned the you know the style or you know what i was looking at he questioned the deals you know because i was always trying to push him on those you know so we'd always questioned the deals we had um i don't recall him ever you know sort of in a creative way getting too um involved you know they were signing some stuff out in europe as well there was uh, quite interesting, and I um, and I think they even signed. Did they sign Deas back in the day as well? And you know, um, or later on. And uh, you know, um, they, I, look, they, I can't sit here and say, look, there was something that I had absolutely on the table. This band, and we mm. lost them because it was Roadrunner. um mm. You know, I think that. Uh, you know, there was stuff I brought to the table and there was just some stuff I just knew I just didn't have a chance. You know, there's a band we really came close yeah, yeah. to called Understand. And they were managed by Nathan McGough who managed the Happy Mondays. And Understand were this new sort of, sort of straight edge band coming out uh, from London who, you know, uh, were really sort of emulating what was coming in from those that sort of straight edge sound from the US. They were brilliant. I mm-hmm. absolutely loved them. And they, for me, they're, it's what, that was a band that had the, they they understood the metal. They recognized the artists that we had on Roadrunner. You know, they probably had them in their collection or at least some of them. But also they had something young. They were all about 19, 20 years old and they were making loud British, you know, straight edge, you know, rock but with a slight alternative side. So they were the perfect hybrid. And I chased them up and down the country, you know, and and uh, they're managed by a brilliant guy called Tank. And, you know, they were just amazing. We came really, really close to signing them. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, Warners at the time really wanted to sign them. And it was just a very difficult conversation for them. They had £120,000 on the table against our 30. you know? And yep. so... I get it, you know i can I could never really you know, but I thought that we we were really close to getting them and and it was uh, you know look they they actually never went on to having big success. I could argue that there's one band that probably might have done, should they have been on probably not a major label, which didn't quite understand it, but on a smaller label Mm -hmm. where they would have been allowed to grow, where they wouldn't have done a deal that would have strangled them from the beginning, and and they would have been amongst um, people who have been a label, you know, our brilliant press girl Lisa at the time was just amazing. And You know, the thing about Roadrunner is, I remember the the, the very small wins in that company were the big wins. You know, we got the front cover of a fanzine and we were all jumping up and down and we were really excited, you know, about that. You know... When I was in Virgin, no one got excited unless you're on the front cover of the NME or Q magazine or Select or whatever it was, you know. Or, And so when we got these small wins, and that's the thing about an independent label as well, you know, everyone helps everyone else. You know, if there's somebody packing records into a, to send out to the press, you all stand there and put the stickers on the labels and you help out. And I, and I that for me was a huge learning curve, you know, my whole career and everything that I've ended up so subsequently going on to do, I always revert back to my experience at Roadrunner about, you know, make every penny count, you know, you know, muck in, get involved, you know, don't just say, well, this is not my remit, you know, and make the small wins be the wins that also really count as well.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, so two years of Roadrunner, it's pretty good innings, especially at that time, because it was a a weird growing pain for the label. How did uh, your relationship with the label end?
1: Well you know what it ended actually because Parlophone uh, asked me to come and join their A&R team um, they'd actually seen me chasing around the country understand the band that I've just mentioned I think they really liked right, them okay. they really liked them as well and I think they thought wow god you you know considering you're uh, the underdog at a small label you know I think you 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 really punched above your weight in terms of really trying to get them you know you gave the majors a run for their money um and so they called me and just said look we want you to come and work for Parlophone we want to offer you a small label that you can have as your own little label an independent label on the side of working for us and you know I and I realized after two years at Roadrunner as much as I love the people love the place and like they gave me that opportunity I think I'm could see and realize that what they wanted to do was gonna be tough. And I didn't have the five or 10 years to give them to, to you know, try and get it to that point. And, you know, and here was a label offering me an opportunity to have both an independent label of my own plus, a, plus a working at the major. So I actually then you know handed my notes in and left. But it was, a river, as I say, it was with a heavy heart that I did. Yeah. I, mean, I really I questioned bet. it. I really questioned it. I remember talking to people saying, I've been offered this job at Parlophone. Parlophone are amazing. You know, they've got these great artists. It was at a time and you know, and, but I don't know, you know, I'm, I've worked for an independent now. I love the independent spirit. I love what this is about. And I really questioned it. I nearly didn't go, um, you know, and then a couple of people said, Miles, you're crazy. Don't we, you know, you've got to do it. <laughs>
0: How did Case respond to that? Because I'm, from what of the conversation I've had, especially with the UK staff, he adopts quite a paternal sort of role, um, and he, he does. And you mentioned it yourself in terms of what you learn. He, he seems to be very, very invested in the development of his staff and his guys. So I bet he was kind of chuffed that you had an opportunity like that.
1: Yeah, I don't. You know what he 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 was. You know he wasn't. He understood it. He got it. He didn't question it. You know, he 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 had the grace to, you know, accept and understand and wish me all the best. You know, and 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 then nothing but you know had you know just hope it all works out for you. And actually, you know, I got a message from him down the line a few years later when I got promoted somehow, and he just said, "I'm glad this, you know, whatever this has happened, and it's, it's all worked out." Um, you know, Case really did look after his people. You know, he had nothing as from what I could see is their best, best interests at heart. Um, You know, I think that, um, you know, the UK was, was, you know, I thought the the, the American label felt it was more forward thinking and it was more progressive than we were. And it was the, it was the dominant label. Um, And, you know, a lot of the artists were all coming from the US, you know, so we were, really on the back foot a little bit by, you know, not having a great deal of repertoire, you know, we were really having to work hard to, you know, suddenly start signing and building our own, you know, artists. But, you know, we, we did, I think as a label, you know, you know, Mark Palmer, you know, he ran a tight ship, you know, and he, he, he knew, I mean, Mark, you know, Mark knew how to run Roadrunner and he, he ran it just, you know, uh, with military precision, really, you know. Mm. Um, but I think when uh, I, I think when it started to, we started to like expand and move and look into try and do that. We, we, you know, we never quite did it, you know, because we didn't have long enough to do it. Um, you know, I think that that's when we probably would need to look what how what we were going to do in the UK to yeah. um, to change it, you know, because. Uh, if it was going to become something other than a metal label. But, you know, there was a band Dog Eat Dog at the time, you know, who who were also young and had a fresh sound and approach, and that's probably the first time mm. he actually got a Radio 1 playlist, you know, and got the MTV Awards and, you know, whatever. Um, so there were little things where we were starting, you know, the band Pet Lamb that I signed, you know, they went on tour with Therapy at the time, and Steve mm. Lemack really championed them. And, you know, we were just doing little things, you know, but... Um, uh, the thing is with, I think, when you've got a real metal label and then you uh, sign a metal act, you've immediately got, you know, this is going to be great because it's got the imprint on it. Mm-hmm. We hadn't necessarily built that
0: name in the alternative world. Yeah. Yeah. That appears to be the challenge. And that's kind of what maybe drew them back to doing metal, perhaps maybe yeah. in that latter part of that decade. Um do you still have a relationship with the label now that they're under Warner? No, although I
1: I then had ran the Warner label in the UK and Roadrunner were part of that, you know, but there was no connection with, with Case or, you know, any of that team. Sure. Um, and we had a guy called Danny who ran it and he did it well and still does it well. And, but, you know, it came under my remit, but, you know, it was funny that it was there. It mm-hmm. kind of made me <laughs> smile that it, you know, had come back under my wing as a label. Um yeah. <laughs> um yeah you know but only with nothing but you know sort of
0: um you know just admiration for it yeah man um last question and i can i can let you go have you ever seen a ghost never
1: no i haven't ever and actually to be honest with you um when people actually talk to me about uh that sort of thing i tend to switch off because <laughs> i just don't believe in it <laughs>
0: <laughs> i've asked everyone that and the answers range from people sending me pictures of weird stuff they've seen to answer switches yours right. <laughs> all right man thanks for that that was exactly exactly the territory i wanted to explore exactly the experience um i was i was happy for you to relay um am i all right just sending this up onto the podcast youtube i don't even think i need to edit it nothing contentious was said
1: i don't think so no you know all i'm gonna say is you're more than happy to you know i enjoy my time at of- at Roadrunner. I've I got nothing but admiration for, you know, Monty who was out in the States and Case and Mark and all, all Lisa and all the team that are in the UK. I think it's, it was a brilliant experience, albeit short-lived, and, and Gary who was there as well, you know, a, a really great team and a, and a great learning curve for me. And I think it grounded me again in the industry. So then when I then started what I call started again at Parlophone, I had a huge learning experience which I uh, kept with me, you know, all the way through my career from, from working at Wakefield.
0: Yeah. It's a special place. It certainly is. I okay. Alright, the <laughs> two of to you. Yeah.